Well, hello there. Back for another story time. And this time, not with J.K. Rowling. We're switching it up a little bit with some George McDonald. And if you don't know who that is, which is probably the case, even though I talk about him literally all the time, we will explain who he is right now. Um, recording live from England. Live from England. This is not <laughs> retrospectively from England. No. It's not in our memory. We are here at this moment, drinking tea, eating bickies. Yep. <laughs> Feeling very British, uh, for sure. You can hear the slurping if you don't believe us. <laughs> <laughs> and we're recording this right now because we're sort of finishing out quarantine. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> it's very exciting. Now, if you hear the other voice in here, it's because we have a special guest. I'm not Annie. No. <laughs> I'm not J.K. Rowling. <laughs> the one and only Mez Bloom. So you should you should tell us about yourself. I think I'm the only one that I've met. Um, I am uh, a friend of Sophie's, not uh, from, from the good old town of Athens, G.A. Uh, I did live many a year in the U.K., and hence we are here now. And I am a children's authoress. I write uh, books for middle grade readers, historic fiction principally, and um, occasionally with a twist of fantasy. And mm-hmm. what else would you like me to say about myself? Have I missed um, any key points? What is one fun fact about you? Well, Sophie has learned many fun facts about me being in quarantine <laughs> together. One is probably my obsession with the canine species. Um, I really get more excited about dogs than just about anything. Dogs and stories really are what, what make the world go around for me. And Sophie has learned that we don't really see a dog, my husband and I, without acknowledging it, admiring it, trying to guess what species or breed it is. I know what species it is. It's a dog. (laughs) (laughs) We probably get a little overexcited about dogs considering the number of dogs in the British population that we've seen. This is very true. I, I don't think there has been a single dog that has not been commented on this entire time. We're also it's missing our funny. dog. We're having withdrawal <laughs> symptoms that are expressing its, themselves with over-enthusiasm, perhaps. For other dogs. <laughs> it's quite fun. <laughs> so, who then is George MacDonald? Who is George MacDonald? That's a whopping question. He is a Victorian writer, also a minister from Scotland, and had an epic beard, uh, as a good Victorian Scotsman should. I believe he is from Aberdeen, and he wrote uh, many a fairy tale that kind of came into the canon through authors that he influenced, such as uh, C.S. Lewis and Tolkien. He was a bit of a a bit of a mentor to them, and they were his great admirers, and you can definitely see his influence in their writings, and they gave complete credit to him for that. They they were very open about his heavy influence in, in their persons and their writings. Such a cool guy. What Such a guy. What would be your favorite story that he's ever written? Well, I would say I love, I love everything that I've read of McDonald. He never disappoints me, but the story nearest to my heart that I feel like has just taken root there and really been a bit life-shaping has been The Princess and the Goblin. I come back to that one a lot. Mm, a classic. So, fun story. I read Fantasies by George MacDonald in middle or high school, but then I didn't read George MacDonald again until this past year when oh. Miss reintroduced me and got me Princess and the Goblin. So You're welcome. It's been pretty wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> that story is so good. And I think my favorite is probably The Day Boy and the Night Girl or At the Back of the North Wind, which I read recently and is just so profound. <laughs> which I am reading currently, and I concur. <laughs> <laughs> McDonald, he just, uh, he he just knows what to do. He hits the nail on the head, but he does it in the most imaginative way. Unique way that it could be done. Mm-hmm. And it just makes sense. Yes. Like, I don't know of any other author to that degree with story who you just read it and everything makes sense in you. Yes. It makes sense not just to the head, but to just... To the heart. <laughs> to the soul. It just... It just... As if you were a small child, it would make sense. If you were an old person, it would make sense. It just... On that kind of basic human level, he just gets to the heart of things. Mm-hmm. I don't know how else to say it. 
You uh, just have to read it to understand. Absolutely must read it, even though it's kind of hard to get a copy of a lot of his works. True, but, true. But it can be done. I recently found Lilith, so don't worry. It can be found. It can be done. It's worth the quest. Absolutely. Now, one of the things we both love about McDonald is, like, wonder. He just talks about wonder. He evokes wonder, all of these different things. So we kind of wanted to talk today about... McDonald at large, but specifically even looking through the lens of the princess and the goblin and how McDonald deals with wonder and skepticism mm. and how they both sort of come together, all these different things. But before we do that, as a lover of philosophy, my favorite thing in the world is to define terms. <laughs> so oh, yes. very important. we want to define what wonder and skepticism are. So Mez, do you want to start us off with a definition for oh, both or either? Wowie. So I really think, Sophie, this is this is your forte. Not only are you the philosopher and definer <laughs> of words, but uh, wonder and skepticism, I feel like, are core to your your own writings, which I have been privileged to read. So this is a theme not foreign to you at all. But I would I would begin to describe wonder <laughs> as um, I suppose it's sort of a an igniting flame of curiosity, of awe, of of interest and excitement. It's that natural element that I think every child embodies if they're left to themselves and not um, squashed with, with digital objects that kind of kill the wonder. And I think that is just the desire to know, the, dis- the desire to discover, um, mm-hmm. a desire for, for something greater and bigger than what is naturally right before your eyes, to get to to get to the heart of things, which is what we just said McDonald is all about. And so I think it's that natural inclination to think there's, there is more to what I see than what I see, and I want to discover it. And I'm going to set out on that quest until I discover it. It's a bit like, I think an excellent example is Sophie during uh, quarantine and her, her new relationship with snails. She's been in our tiny little quarantine garden with her head up under bushes and um, and planters discovering snails and really getting to the bottom of what snail culture and and the life of snails is all about. And I think that really encapsulates uh, what wonder is and should be. Unfortunately, we haven't discovered much about snail <laughs> culture. They don't move much. They kind of let us down. <laughs> That's such a good definition of wonder. I don't think anybody could ever add to that. Oh, well, I'm sure you could. But. Pretty encapsulating. So then how would you define skepticism in contrast? Mm, so in contrast, and I think really contrast is the best way to define it. Um, rather than wonder's sort of urgency to know and understand, I think skepticism comes from a place of disbelief of wanting to poke holes, wanting to find the breakdown of things, wanting to um, sort of minimalize things, not to understand the bigger picture, but to sort of break them down so that uh, you can just, you really just want to see the object in front of you and, and sort of, it's almost a disinclination to see the bigger picture, to disprove it, to find fault with it. Um, so I think it's a spirit and attitude that comes with skepticism that distinguishes it from wonder. I think that's a really kind of like what you're saying made me think of the difference between wonder being very synthesis based mm. of you're taking all of the pieces together yes. and putting them together. Like you're saying the bigger picture, whereas skepticism is very analytical in the sense of you're only picking out the pieces and you're not really seeing the congruent whole 100%. that they, that they all make. And what's interesting is I think, especially from a philosophical perspective, sometimes they can look similar in the way that you approach things because yeah. either end you're going to be asking a lot of questions and trying to discover all of these things, but it's really that difference of attitude yes. and that's going to affect the ultimate outcome of all of your curiosity and searching. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's that starting point of what are you actually after? What is fueling your, your pursuits for knowledge? Yeah. It is really, it's really a heart and attitude issue. Mm-hmm. And then I think like when you, even when when you get to the end of of knowledge or whatever, I think wonder is okay with mystery, mm-hmm. and because it's okay with mystery, I think you reach more of a complete knowledge mm-hmm. while still recognizing that there are some things you can't understand. Whereas I think skepticism just gets frustrated. Yeah, and like I disillusioned. Mean, yeah, I mean you even think of Descartes trying to really be ultra skeptical so that he could just find something that he knew for certain, and there really and like there's nothing really that we can know. 
right. for certain. Right. It's just how it is. So I think wonder allows you to have a bit more firm basis of knowledge because you're okay with that mystery. Totally. And the second you try to deconstruct and detach pieces from the whole, from the big picture, it's like if you take a piece out of a puzzle that's already been put together and you mm-hmm. try to understand the picture from that one piece, you will be frustrated. <laughs> right. It'll leave you with so much <laughs> unknown. Um, and so, yeah, I think that is the end result of skepticism. It is, it is never satisfied. Whereas mm-hmm. wonder is never satisfied in the better way that you're always hungry to, to discover more. But because you've seen the big picture, you've seen a glimpse of it. And that glimpse is enough to tell you that, okay, this is a coherent big picture. And I just want to keep seeing more and more of it. I just want to yeah. draw back the curtain little by little and keep seeing that little glimpse because it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's much more of a quest and adventure. Totally. Totally. Whatever you would call what a skeptic's doing. Not an adventure. <laughs> yes, totally. I don't know what that is, but it's not, it's <laughs> definitely not an misery. adventure. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Unraveling. So now that we kind of have this understanding of wonder and skepticism and how they're different, how does McDonald's specifically sort of discuss and compare the two? (laughs) (laughs) The tea is gurgling. So we'll we'll take it to story form now. Actually, as we were just talking about the big picture, a scene from At the Back of the North Wind came to mind, which was um, when Diamond is asking the North Wind how certain things that appear on surface to be very tragic can in fact ultimately be good. And her explanation is that she, uh, so the North Wind is is a person, she is the wind, but she's also um, an anthropomorphic character of the wind. And she says that she knows that ultimately it will be good because she hears this hint of a song and the Mm. song is good and the song is beautiful. And that is what reassures her. And even though it's just a few notes, she says those few notes, those people who are suffering, if they just hear those few notes, they are reassured that all of all of their tears, all of their crying will be worked into this song and it will ultimately be this beautiful, everlasting song. And I think that's so McDonald, so McDonald <laughs> to put it to put it in such a way to make all of your senses sort of engage with it. Um, but that's just what came to mind when we were talking about about uh, the big picture. But we'll take it back to the princess and the goblin. And um, and I think to begin with, I think often in his fairy tales, um, children are the primary characters portraying an attitude of wonder. But that doesn't mean that all children naturally are quick to believe and all adults are just lost causes who are skeptics. He doesn't draw that dichotomy. He's much more refined than that, and I appreciate (laughs) that about him. But typically it is a child who portrays childlike wonder, who makes the the initial discovery of something more than than they knew was there. I don't know if I completely answered that question. <laughs> you, might, you might need to ask it again. <laughs> well, how does he? How does McDonald often characterize wonders? Like, well, okay. what are they like? Okay, so the wonders, like I said, they're usually children. So we have um, Irene and the Princess and the Goblin, who's a little girl. Irene, I thought it was Irene. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where you got that from, Irene? Um, I, I shall call her Irene because that is fanatical. But uh, yeah, so she is a child and she discovers that she has in the attic of, she's actually a princess, but she's been sent away to this kind of mountain lodge where she's looked after by a nanny and staff. And she's a typical kind of child, but she discovers in the attic of this house that she has a great, great, many, many, many great grandmother who is this sort of magical being um, eternally youthful and beautiful, but you know, wise and learned and wizened, and she spins these magical threads, and she has this magical fire that smells of roses. And um, Irene discovers her out of curiosity because she goes in pursuit of of something. Um, but she doesn't just take everything on blind faith. She, for one, she has to ask questions. She asks just like any child would. She is full of questions. She does, never stops asking questions, but she doesn't ask them from a point of skepticism, trying to disprove what she sees. She asks them from that genuine desire to know and to understand, and more specifically, to get to know and understand her grandmother. So I think that's a key element, that it's on that relational level of Irene wants to know this, this person because mm-hmm. she is beautiful and she seems so good. Um, 
And I think that's another part of Wanderers and McDonald is that they, they usually trust what they're told because they trust someone. It's rooted in that faith, in that personal faith. Um, but it's not blind faith. It's faith that comes after building a relationship of trust, after asking lots of questions and then receiving those answers. So I think that sums up the wonder. <laughs> the wonder. <laughs> Definitely. So then in contrast, how does he usually sort of characterize the skeptics? What are they like? So the skeptics are not, uh, like I said, they're not always adults. And they're also not painted as the black villain. You know, they they actually are often characters that we genuinely deeply care about and relate to in the mm-hmm. story. Again, I really appreciate that about McDonald. I think the, the preacher in him, um, kind of non-establishment preacher coming out. But um, sometimes adults are just sort of practical and can't see beyond the end of their noses and they're skeptical in that kind of way. But other times adults do have belief. You know, the king and, and princess and goblin hears Irene's story about the grandmother and has no problem believing it because he knows he has experience in, in his own past. And we get the same in the, at the back of the North Wind. Uh, Diamond's mother kind of takes it at face value that he's experiencing you know, these adventures with the North Wind. And so we, we have hints at the very start that she's had her own experiences and that they haven't sort of faded away with time. And so adults aren't necessarily always skeptics. Sometimes we have child skeptics. So we have Curdie in um, uh, Princess and the Goblin, who is a young man, and he's just a very practical young man who has sort of grown up fast working in the mines, just, you know, trying to survive and help provide for his family. And it's kind of suggested that in that lifestyle, he's he hasn't done anything wrong. He's been a great kid, but he's just lost his sense of wonder. You know, he's been down in the mines in the dark, just sort of plugging away and he's and he's lost it. Um, and so the skeptic is portrayed as just someone who, whether it be through neglect of wonder or even deprivation of wonder, has has sort of hardened and is not able to see and understand those bigger picture questions or mm-hmm. just isn't asking them at the time. Yeah, and, and off of that, what do you think too might be sort of, I guess, the significance? So in, when the princess finds her grandmother, she can see her, yes. literally. And when Curdy first encounters her, he can't see her at yeah. all. Yeah. So I don't know, like what, what, what do you think sort of McDonald is, is showing there? Well, thankfully, in that instance, he kind of spells it out a little bit. And as much as uh, there's a conversation between Irene, who's just so frustrated and vexed that she's brought Curdy to meet her grandmother and he cannot see her and he thinks she's just being whimsical and irritating. And so obviously you can put yourself in her shoes and imagine how frustrating that would be. Um, But Irene asks the grandmother, why can't he see you? And she basically explains, well, he's not ready to see because simply seeing wouldn't wouldn't instigate his belief immediately. That's just seeing isn't believing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think what the grandmother's getting at is that place of the heart, that even if we see all the evidence in the world for something greater, if our heart isn't in a place to receive that, then seeing it isn't going to make a difference to that belief. Um, so I think that's a hint of how McDonald sees it. But it's not a lost cause. That's the important thing to keep throwing in there. <laughs> Never a lost cause. No. So, I mean, that's making me think sort of how you're saying that of, I think the fact of seeing is not believing is such an important thing. Yeah. Yeah. You should expound on that. Oh, I always get myself in a mental twist when I'm thinking about this. Seeing is believing, not seeing what um, that comes up. And I feel like lots of fairy tale films and things. But um, yeah, seeing is not believing. I think, I don't know, if you take it to the sort of spiritual level of you can ask someone, what would it take for you to um, believe that there is a God who created the universe? And they may say any number of things. I need to see writing in the sky. I would need a voice to come from heaven. I would need um, God to come down in the flesh and speak to me and do miracles. (laughs) And they give all these examples and the response of a Christian is usually, well, he's kind of done all that stuff and it didn't, people witnessed it and it still didn't persuade them. And I think, you know, I know people who, who have genuinely experienced miraculous events and it didn't make a dent to their belief because it's, 
it's a place in the heart that is just hardened towards towards I mean it's coming with a predisposition of there is only a material practical explanation for this and mm-hmm. I can't possibly it is really a sense of I cannot accept anything other than that it's a very limiting belief yeah. um what was the original question again <laughs> Just expounding on this. Oh, right, yes. So it's not enough simply to see. It has to be a a softening of the heart, a preparation, a kind of removing of those limits, you know, taking off the blinders and being able to see and understand explanations that are outside of your limited framework of belief. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can see and still be blind. Yeah. How would you? How would you expound on that? <laughs> how would I expound on it? <laughs> I don't know. I asked the question. I don't have the answers. Um, no, I. Yeah, I. Well, I was just sort of even thinking of the basic. I guess similarity and difference between wonder and skepticism, and mm. and how they relate to that notion of, seeing is not, believing. I I don't know. I think that shows. I don't know if this is gonna make any sense. <laughs> If it's connecting in my brain. <laughs> of, I'll tell you if you're just talking rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> of, of just how that, in that sense, shows the fundamental difference. Like, a wanderer's heart is already in a completely different place. Yes. Of, and, and I think it's born out of the whole notion of being okay with mystery again. Yeah, totally. Because chances are you're not going to see in the same way that maybe Irene literally sees like we don't usually get the opportunity to literally see physical manifestations of whatever something may be right but that doesn't mean we don't have wonder yeah and we're okay with sort of the mystery of not fully comprehending Mm. things Mm. um yeah i think that makes perfect sense and i think you see that manifest in real life and the difference between what a child sees when they go outside to play versus what an adult sees you know and I think Mm -hmm. that we're just um there's a line in Finding Neverland where uh, James Berry who wrote Peter Pan says how how dangerous a word just is because adults and skeptics just want to say oh it's just a dog he says I see a great bear Orthus you know who can (laughs) dance and oh it's just a garden but to a child they see so much more there than just a garden you know or Sophie (laughs) you might say to Sophie it's just a snail but (laughs) in Sophie's world there's so much more um yeah and I think it's I think it's coming at things with an attitude of humility Mm, yeah rather than wanting to kind of box it up and being able to explain it from every angle it's like you Mm -hmm. say the humility of recognizing that there are things bigger than you um you can take them in from some angles but you might not see you might not see every angle you might not be able to get your head around it and that's okay yeah and and just the fact that no sheer amount of evidence or logical argument is going to to change you from a skeptic to a wonderer that's right like it has to be a more fundamental change than that yes totally yeah you'll never be able to 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 switch because they're both two different ways of seeking after knowledge oh yeah oh there's another part in um and the princess and the goblin where the grandmother is talking about irene's nanny luti just love that her name is luti to begin with (laughs) and she said you know even if luti were to see me she would only remember the half of what she saw and the rest she would somehow conform in her mind to just absolute nonsense. Mm, yeah. And that is the memory she would take away. And so, yeah, really what you see and what you, what you make of it all depends on where your heart is when you, when you behold it. The heart of the beholder. <laughs> yeah, it's always the starting point. None of us are completely uh, objective yes. in that sense. Yes. And we all could use a little more wonder to begin with. Absolutely. I highly recommend being quarantined for days on end to reawaken the wonder when you only have a little patch of garden to explore. It does wonders. Oh, Oh, Oh. so many jokes. (laughs) So how do, I mean, we've talked about this a little bit, but even in more detail, like how do the wonders and the skeptics in McDonald's stories interact with each Mm. other? Well, let's take Irene and Curdie. Um, because they become buddies. Irene wants to introduce grandma, great, 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 great grandmother to Curdie. Curdie cannot see her, does not want to even entertain this notion, thinks it's silly child's play, is very insulted by it. 
really takes it personally. <laughs> and their interaction is obviously one of mutual hurt and frustration. And if you've ever cared deeply, if you are yourself a believer and you've cared deeply for someone who is not, and they're not trying to make you mad, they just genuinely cannot get there, um, then you will you will so relate to this book and the hurt and the frustration and just the, I, there's nothing I can do to make you see this. Why can't you see this? I'm telling you, why don't you believe me? Um, and MacDonald just portrays that beautifully. But then I love that Irene, with the help of her grandmother, learns patience and learns um, love and kindness. And rather than just sort of giving up on Curdy in his moment of inability to see, just learns that, okay, it's not, it's not the right time. All I can do is be faithful to what I've said because I'm speaking truth here. I'm not going to back down just to make myself look better in his eyes. I'll be faithful to that, but I'm, I'm not going to try to force him when he's not ready. He's just not there yet. And there's a really cool exchange between the grandmother and, um, and Irene where the grandmother says, you know, you think it's hard not being believed. I've had to go through that so many times. I know exactly what it's like and you just have to wait it out and be patient. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that just, just speaks the heart of God so much of, you know, it might be hard for you to, to feel like the fool, to feel like people are patronizing you or, or calling you just whimsical or whatever it is. But I know what that's like. I have to be disbelieved every day, um, despite all that I do, all that I've done. And, and yet with such patience, with such love, with such hope for people who aren't there yet, mm-hmm. that they're not a lost cause, that they, they can, um, wonder can be reawoken where it's been dormant or where it's even died. And so that is, that is the, I think, the wonderful challenge that McDonald paints and the approach that he encourages maybe the frustrated wanderer, the frustrated believer to take uh, with their skeptical friends. Yeah, one of patience and hope. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's funny because I, I feel like in life so often – God just throws the wonders and the skeptics together. Yeah, like, totally. Yes. <laughs> you don't just get to stay with your people, obviously. And if you are never challenged or never hurt over that, then you probably need to get out more and need yeah. to make some new yeah. friends. Yeah. And I think we were talking about how the onus is on the wanderer, mm-hmm. not to force somebody to believe, but to continuously offer them invitation, that kind of Philip to Nathaniel invitation of, well, come and see. And maybe they don't see, but you keep offering that invitation and holding it open. Yeah, the come and see. And and I feel like with sort of wonders, like you slowly see the effect on the people around them. I mean, even in, we talked a little bit like the, at the back of the North Wind, mm-hmm. there's something so obviously different about Diamond. Yes. Um, which is an interesting name, but it's a boy. He's <laughs> <laughs> named after a horse. Yeah. <laughs> He is just so full of wonder to the point that people, and especially other children, are like, you are weird. Yes, exactly. And they probably think, I think they think he's weirder than the adults think yeah. he is. Um, Sophie, you probably very much relate to, uh, to, to that <laughs> sometimes, experience. <laughs> sometimes, yeah. But, um, but you slowly see other people that are around him being transformed mm-hmm. and their wonder just being awakened by being witnesses to his own wonder yes which is just cool and i mean i think that's fun and it's hard because you balance that with with patience and it depends on like the level maybe of how much of a skeptic or how little wonder this person has or so on and so forth but it's been fun like for me um my mom has been listening to my podcast which is so fun of her hello shannon (laughs) (laughs) she's out there but she has just been talking about how really like over the course of these past six months or so, she's been so much more intentional about like going out and experiencing all these different things and being filled with wonder. And I think she was telling me that she was going on a walk one day and I can't remember if she like asked the Lord that she just wanted to see some birds or something. I don't remember what it was, but then it was like this huge flock of birds like overhead, just oh, perfect brilliant. timing, like animal moment, like, you know, it's straight from the Lord yes. and it was just so full she was just so full of wonder at it and mm. excitement and joy. And so it's been really fun to see her like re-embrace her wonder yeah. and all of it being like reawoken after 
however long that she didn't have as much wonder. Don't yes. me to throw you under the bus, mom. Um. <laughs> but I think that's such a great example because she started from a place of of humble asking. If you just ask, mm-hmm. if you feel like I'm that person who I just feel like I cannot get there. I don't know how to to be filled with wonder. Just does not come naturally to me. It just starts with with the desire and and the humble request for it. You yeah. know, and your mom clearly if you ask you receive. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> that's just all lots of fun. Um and, and so I kind of wanted to expand on this. You you sort of talked about all of these different things, but maybe there's more to dig into. Maybe there's not. I don't know. <laughs> there's always more <laughs> with McDonald. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so what is what is this interaction between wonder and belief? Mm. How do they come together? I guess it it comes full circle back to what we talked about at the beginning, where wonder is rooted in trust mm-hmm. and um and a relational trust. Um Irene believes what she sees, the magical things that she sees, because she knows, she's come to know her grandmother, and her grandmother is good. Um, And she obeys her grandmother and takes on a really difficult task because she trusts that her grandmother is good and in control and that the outcome will be what's right, even if Mm -hmm. it's not easy. And uh, I think we see that also in At the Back of the North Wind, when Diamond can't understand some of the the destruction that the North Wind is causing and how that can be okay. How can she be good? And she's performing, you know, she's sinking ships and all these these terrible things. Um, but when she questions him, how does he know that she's good? Why would he say that that's contrary to her nature? He says, well, I know because you're you're good to me and I see that you're beautiful and I see that you're good and I experience that mm-hmm. and therefore I can extrapolate from that that the things I don't understand are also okay. They're also good, even though it's beyond my comprehension to, to see that and to understand that. And, and so I think it's so crucial for that trust, that faith element to be present for wonder um, to have the courage really because it does takes courage you never know what you're going to discover (laughs) and so (laughs) I think for us as believers you know our wonder is rooted in our in our personal knowledge that God is good and that he has created a universe of goodness and beauty and awesomeness to be discovered and he's put it in our hearts from infancy to desire to discover it and through discovering it to know more of him he wants us to see more and more of that big picture. He doesn't keep it hidden from us. Um, and we won't see all of it until we see him face to face. But that is the joy and the delight and the the quest that every mm-hmm. every human being made in the image of God is is given. It's a dignity. It's a blessing. And so to miss out on that, oh, it's the worst. <laughs> Absolute worst. <laughs> Definitely, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there are two... I don't know, maybe in my mind there are like two phases of wonder. There's like the introductory phase where the world is beautiful. Like it yeah. just is, there's, un, it's just, we see it in front of us. It's beautiful. It's incredible. And so I think when you encounter that, maybe like you encounter a mountain or it could be something smaller, like a stream. A stream is always about wonder. A snail. A snail. <laughs> it could be a snail. They're fascinating creatures. Yeah, yeah. You see this and I think that sort of sets you off on an exploration mm. of, hmm, I wonder why this exists. Why does it look the way it is? Like, why, how is this snail able to move this way? You know, all of these different things that sort of catapult question after question. And I think in that degree, you just seem to, we just seem to have this inherent sort of trust for the most part that there is some sort of answer to that question. Um, I don't think any human, probably because like, if you look at children, I don't think a child looks at a snail and sees a snail shell and doesn't think that there's some answer for why right. it's the way that it is, right. you know? And they want to know the answer, those sorts of things. So I feel like that's the introductory phase of wonder. And then you sort of move into this secondary, deeper, richer phase of wonder when you've entered into this relationship of trust mm. with the creator. Yes. Like, I think wonder can lead you to the discovery of him. Oh, yeah. And then once you're there with him, you get to wonder about so many more things and step out into so many more deep waters that don't make sense. Yes, yeah. Because you've got that trust. Yeah, I think absolutely. And I think Princess and the Goblin illustrates that beautifully in the early stages where Irene is just 
out of kind of curiosity and wonder and kind of little hints about what might be in the attic, mm-hmm. discovers the grandmother. And it's only then that the grandmother really, um, she really grows. And like you said, she's like the wonder starts to wear off and change her and make her brave and courageous. Mm-hmm. And it's only then when she's developed that trusting relationship and she's, you know, slept in the arms of the grandmother and felt her strength and her, and her tenderness that she then has the courage to set out on the quest uh, with the goblins, not to give too much away, but it's a dangerous quest. Like you said, it's deep waters that she would never, ever have had the courage to set out on mm-hmm. if she hadn't experienced that place of rest with her grandmother first. Yeah, yeah, and I think that interplay, too, between wonder and courage is is so fascinating. Mm. Like, you know, I feel like a lot of times skeptics, in the sense of, like, philosophical or scientific skeptics, they say they're so courageous yeah. because they don't believe in anything. We're willing to just look at the world as a hopeless, dismal place and just swallow it. Yeah. How courageous. <laughs> it doesn't feel very courageous to me. That feels more resigned. It does feel resigned. You're just like, eh. But to really search after truth, yeah, beauty, goodness, yeah. without knowing exactly what you're going to discover totally, is courageous. And it's even sort of like... You mentioned this the other day with Diamond when he's with the North Wind. Originally, like, he sort of sits in the back of her hair where it's safe. Yes. And he can't feel any of the wind. But then he says he wants to, like, be held in yes. her arms, like, by her chest. Oh, that's such a good part. <laughs> yeah. And um, and she's like, wouldn't you rather be back in my hair where it's totally safe? But he says it's much better to be there um, by her chest or her bosom in that language. Yes. <laughs> um, and, and feel all of sort of feel all the wind and all the wrath of what's going on in that sense. Yeah. While also feeling her arms around him and being close to her in that sense, in that, uh, in that way. And that is a perfect example of how McDonald just gets straight <laughs> to it with he does. the simplest little picture, illustration, fairy tale. Yeah. He, he just speaks volumes of theology with that. He does. It It is just mind-blowing, especially for me at the back of the North Wind when I read it. I, it was like in that moment of time, every question and frustration that I had was suddenly <laughs> just answered in this simple, air quotes, children's story. Yeah. Which is why stories just, again, like I say literally all the time, <laughs> story is so powerful. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> it reveals the truth in such a, a deeper way, probably because it evokes our wonder more than logical syllogisms evoke wonder. But you um, have to come to the story ready mm-hmm. to not just say, well, that was silly and whimsical, but to actually to engage. You have to yeah. bring your imagination and reason together. Yes. I was yes. reading Malcolm Guide about that the other day. Oh, <laughs> podcast to come on that, I think. <laughs> probably is. Quite good. <laughs> Quite good. Um, so along the same lines, how do wonder and understanding interact? Mm. So yeah, definitely along the same lines. I think, you know, kind of like the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. You have to start from that place of humility, of not knowing everything, of of accepting mystery, um, of receiving uh, revelation as it's given to you as you quest for it because you trust the one revealing. um, That it's in... It is in that place of of trust and submission that you begin to make those discoveries. And that's really exciting because the discoveries never end. And there's no sort of limit to to what you can learn and what you can understand. Not for the sake of sort of possessing knowledge and being the smartest person, you know, that you know. But it is when you start with that humility of wonder, then knowledge Mm -hmm. is just a gift and you receive it as a gift um, and so you come to understand information, you know, why, <laughs> why the world works the way it does. Um, but instead of sort of bringing, taking that information as, you know, again, you can just, everybody knows that skeptic who's super arrogant and just acts like, oh, you know, they've got it all, they've got it all sorted. They've got it all figured out. They've picked it all apart. Those are just the most insufferable people, <laughs> but the people who are in awe of what they discover and what they learn. Those are, those are people you actually want to learn from mm-hmm. who aren't going to talk to you with a patronizing teacher tone of, oh, don't you wish you knew as much as I do. Um, and I think that's what wonder creates. And then, you know, on a, on a deeper level than just knowledge, I think you, we see in, in The Princess and Goblin that Irene has a deeper understanding of Curdie as a person um, because 
she again has been with the grandmother and she has that patience and she has herself gone on that journey of discovery. And so she's able to to sit and wait uh, with him on his journey, which is taking a little longer than she would like. Yeah. Perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> that is so succinct. Input. But you were actually, we were talking about um, Day Boy and Night Girl, and you made a good point too about how wonder leads to understanding and appreciation in that story, which I thought was interesting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And learning to see things from other perspectives. Right, because you have sort of the, you have the day boy who has never seen the night. He's only, he's only ever seen the day. And you have the night girl who's been locked in a room with the darkness her entire life. Bummer. And yeah, not super, not super fun. Um, a werewolf which rules their castle. So it's very exciting. Rough time. Um, yeah. So the night girl, she's able to escape one night and she encounters the night for the first time and she thinks that the moon is the sun because it's so bright. But she is just filled with awe at the beauty of everything that she encounters, which is what I love about that story so much because she's so full of wonder. Uh, but then you, you sort of have the day boy who I wouldn't really say is full of wonder. He's just really overly confident but he ends up staying out past, staying out till night, and he's so terrified. But he's comforted when he encounters the night girl. But then mm. when day comes, he ditches her, and she's obviously scared of the day and doesn't know how to handle that much light because she's never been accustomed to it. But that's sort of the beginning of their interactions. But as time passes, by seeing the day or the night through the other's eyes, they're able to slowly but surely appreciate all of the beauty and wonder that comes from... Mm those different settings uh which i just think is really cool of it's very much one of the classic stories of like male and female differences coming together um and like girls usually represent the moon and boys right. usually represent the sun and so there's lots of symbolism going on which is really cool but i think i don't know i think especially yeah by understanding and loving and caring for each other then they're able to gain a sense of wonder about something that previously they either were scared of or they doubted or they just hated all these different things. Yeah. So, yeah. I think it says so much about how wonder is that much better in, in community. And, yes. <laughs> you know, when you have affection for people, it really does enhance your wonder when you mm-hmm. are learning to see see things through other other people's eyes because everybody's kind of adventures of wonder are a <laughs> yeah. little bit different. And so yeah. you get so much more. It's so much um, enriched when you experience wonder with others. And, you know, we kind of help each other along the way as well when we, when we struggle, when we kind of have a, a lapse in our wonder. Yes. <laughs> Which happens to the best of us. <laughs> that it does. It's very helpful. Um, yeah. And I think, too, there's, I know, I, I think I mentioned this quote in the mystery episode, but Malcolm Guy, in one of his little random musings things, he said that life itself and all things worth having are given, not striven for, are never fully predicted or understood appear unexpectedly as graces to be apprehended and mysteries to be acknowledged. And I... <laughs> <laughs> you go, Malcolm Guy. Guy, he's just, <laughs> wow, what a hero. Um, but I feel like that captures so much of it. And I think wonder is born out of seeing knowledge and all of these things as a gift. Mm, yes. And when something is a gift, you can't just like, you can't grasp hold of it. And yes. it's, it's not something that you're striving for. It's sort of something that you're exploring and being given. And yeah. You're welcoming, and it's it's still partially a mystery. Yes, which reminds me of a conversation we had about the difference between magic and technology, but that's a conversation <laughs> for another day. Yeah, that's a whole, a whole long, very fascinating conversation. Yeah, so that's super cool. And then what about the interaction between wonder and hope? Oh, now this is the big one. This is the one that I think MacDonald oh, does so well, so, so well. Because, like we've said repeatedly, because it's such an important theme, the skeptic is not a lost cause. The mm-hmm. wonder gets no credit for being a wanderer. It's not that they're a better person. Irene's yeah. not a better person than Curdie. In many ways, Curdie has you know character values and and uh, virtues that. Irene doesn't have. She's just a little girl mm-hmm. who's a little bit spoiled and has everything she wants. <laughs> He's a hardworking boy who, you know, does everything for his mother and father. 
Um, he's, he's not a bad kid. She's not a, a good kid. They're just both kids. Um, one is blessed with an ability to wonder that the other one hasn't had the, the blessing of because he's had to work. He's had a harder life. And so I think um, the beautiful hope is that the skeptic is not a lost cause. He's not there yet. And through his, really his love and his concern for Irene, he finally, his heart finally gets around to a place where he's able to see because he goes after her. He goes to rescue her, even though he doesn't believe her. And it's in that act that he begins to be able to see the first signs of what he wasn't able to see before um, and to start to melt away his skepticism until he can fully believe it. Again, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> and so I think that's the beauty, that there there is hope for for the hardened and um, and also hope for the hurting wanderer who desperately desires to share uh, the beauty of faith with a friend who just can't seem to get there. And it might take a long time, and it might be really painful, and there there could be years of hurt, but ultimately it's not... Uh, like the grandmother says, you know, leave it up to me what he thinks of you. You just be faithful and do what I've asked you to do. Keep believing in me. Keep keep speaking the truth, even if it's scoffed at. And I'll take care of Curdy. I'll bring him around in, in the right time. And that's just so full of hope and peace mm-hmm. for those of us who love people who can't believe, who can't see, who can't wonder that there is hope. Yeah, that made me think <laughs> of like two things. First off, I think it's interesting that like we've been talking this whole time about wonder being rooted in relationship and especially trust in in um, Irene's case, in her grandmother, in our case, in the Lord. But mm-hmm. there's also like wonder rooted in your relationship to another person mm. and your trust in that person. And maybe that leads you on to the next yes. stage of wonder. It yes. is sort of how Irene and Curdy interact. Totally. And the grandmother knows, I think, that that's mm-hmm. what it's going to take. Yeah. She doesn't tell Irene that because it's not like we're, we're manipulating Curdy to believe. It's just she knows the heart of Curdy and she knows mm-hmm. that what it's going to take for him to get there. Yeah, and I think that is such a picture of the Lord and how he uses us and teaches us patience and teaches us long-suffering and love for people um, in order that in his good way, in his perfect timing in his way, they can begin to, to see him maybe get a glimpse of him through mm-hmm. us or through their relationship with us, through their trust in us. That's a first baby step towards a trust in him. Yeah, yeah. And then the other thing that I that I thought of is something you've told me before. Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> and I didn't do yet. <laughs> Speak words of wisdom. <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's right. <laughs> and, and that is that, like, the end game is always redemption. Yes. And that's something just in general that I've been thinking about more. Like, like you said, no matter how dark and difficult the path is, and no matter how much pain that Irene and Curdy both experience, yes. and the grandmother experiences, yeah. the the final destination is redemption. That's right. And it's they're not there yet, but there's always hope for redemption because that's kind of God doesn't just scrap everything and start over. He redeems Absolutely. what He's already created, and it's that much better for the journey. Mm-hmm. If He just this is again going back to something awesome guy said, but yeah, if He just did away with all the heartache and all the pain and all the all the toil the end game would not be as beautiful as the end result would not be as beautiful as the beauty of the eucatastrophe the beauty of redemption after mm-hmm. all of that is so much more glorious for the journey it is so that being said which maybe we've already answered this but final question how do we continue to wonder and love others and try and spark wonder in Mm. others with patience and hope man i think we can take a leaf from mcdonald and um see that the only way irene could get over the pain and the hurt and the betrayal of curdy not Mm -hmm. believing her is to crawl up in the arms of in her case her grandmother in our case of the lord uh, and to find comfort there and to recognize that he is the God that writes good endings and he is the God that is weaving redemption for our friends as well as for us. Mm-hmm. And I think if you can come to a place of trust in that and realize that it's not up to you to produce results, that all he's asking is for you to 
to continue in faithfulness, to speak the truth regardless of people's response to you. Um, not make it about you because <laughs> it's never about you then that will give us the patience and to see as you know the grandmother said I know what it's like to just recognize that God if we hurt in being rejected <laughs> how much more does God feel that pain he yeah. who knows how much that person needs him and was designed and made to be in relationship with him and designed for the life of wonder you know that is abundant and overflowing and so he can empathize, but he also is patient. And think about how patient he is with, you know, with us <laughs> who, who have finally come to sort of set out on that journey of wonder and his long suffering with us. And it doesn't run out. It's there for others as well. And so I think we have to draw that from him. There's no other source. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, think, I think a way that I, I guess I boil it down to thinking through um, to quote a character from another story, uh, <laughs> is that <clears throat> life isn't really about having our questions answered, mm. but just but trusting and following the path that's been set before us. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that to me really, I don't know, encapsulates my, my thoughts or my own struggle with how does one keep wondering and keep hoping. Yeah, totally. And it doesn't hurt to read excellent stories along the way <laughs> that keep the fan flame the, fl- the fan flame <laughs> the flame fanned <laughs> especially stories by george mcdonald yes so you should go read his stories right this moment go read them what are you waiting for they're not long stop listening to this podcast <laughs> and go read a george mcdonald fairy tale and your life will be greatly blessed amen <laughs> well, that's all we have to say about George MacDonald and wonder and skepticism in The Princess and the Goblin and it was a fun time what a delight I have finally been on Tikva <laughs> story time with Sophie this is man I'm over the moon all thanks to quarantine because you're stuck with me quarantine <laughs> 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 well on that note until next time <laughs> ta-ta